Amen. Would you open your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah? We're in chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, but I want to start at the end of chapter 8, verse 22. Isaiah, beginning in chapter 8, verses 22 through 9, verse 7. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your glorious plans of redemption through the sending of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his deliverance and rescue of sinners like us. We thank you for the great joy and the hope that we find in Christ alone. I pray that today as we open your word that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts and bring about life change for your glory and for our good. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open blind eyes today, that you would allow the deaf to hear that you would raise the spiritually dead to put their hope, their trust in Christ alone for salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So many times during the Advent season, we do kind of a topical series on hope and peace and love and joy. This year, the the Lord has led us to do something a little bit different uh, in a series entitled, His Name Shall Be Called. 
And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, focusing on verses 6 to 7, and also Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And we're going to look at the names of our Savior, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus, Emmanuel. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the names of our Lord Jesus, the implications for us as believers, how it should transform our thinking and the way that we live. So we're going to dig in today and look at Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Jonathan Edwards said this of our Lord Jesus. He said, he is a king of the most unparalleled clemency and grace. Never was any kingdom ruled by a government so mild and gentle and gracious. He is exceedingly gracious in the manner of his ruling his people by sweetly and powerfully influencing their hearts by his grace, not governing them against their wills, but powerfully inclining their wills. Our Lord Jesus is wonderful in his counsel and powerful in all of his ways. When Isaiah is writing, he's writing during a time of great turmoil and unrest in the northern kingdom, if you'll remember, in 734 and 732, the king of Assyria came and took over parts of the northern kingdom in Galilee, in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, took them to Assyria. In 722, the entire northern kingdom fell to the king of Assyria, and the king took them back to Assyria and planted a bunch of peoples in Samaria to live there in the land so that it would be kept up and not overgrown by weeds and animals. There were kings who were walking in the way of Jeroboam, especially the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. And there was a, a good king in Judah. His name was Uzziah. Azariah would be another name. And he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of his father, David. He walked in the way of the Lord. He loved the Lord and reigned in righteousness. There was peace and security. And if you can remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. He saw the priest king, the Lord Jesus, seated on the throne in the temple. He was overwhelmed by the majesty of the Lord and even his sinfulness. Who am I? I'm undone. I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah sees 
the challenge there of unrest in even Judah, in Jerusalem, with the death of Uzziah, but he sees the Lord on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. Everything's going to be okay. All of the safety and security during Isaiah, I mean, during Uzziah's reign has come to an end, and Uzziah's son would walk in the ways of the kings of Israel, not in the way of David. And then Ahaz, the grandson, would walk in the way of the kings of Israel, even sacrificing his son on the altar to the false gods of the nations. There was terrible distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. The northern kingdom had been already thrust into thick darkness, but into this darkness, the Lord speaks. He speaks a word of promise. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, speaking of the king of Assyria coming and taking them away, conquering that land, even ruling that land. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And we see this in the fulfillment of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His preaching ministry and healing ministry in Galilee, in that region, light has shone to a people who are in great spiritual darkness and anguish of soul. And into that darkness, the light shines, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah is seeing a time when the Messiah comes of great joy and gladness because of his presence. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He's seeing a time of deliverance of conquering spiritual enemies. He is rescuing the people of God. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. No more war, no more strife. The kingdom of Christ, a time of peace. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and it takes us back to Isaiah 7, 14, a promise that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God himself coming to dwell in the midst of his people. God taking on human flesh. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Even points us forward to the language. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, speaking of the responsibility of rule, his dominion, his kingship. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It means this this peace and this government, this rule and reign will continue to increase into all eternity. You will have eternal dominion. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is guaranteed. This is God's plan of redemption. God will do this because of his glorious purposes and his might and his power and he will accomplish this. A message of incredible hope in the context of deep darkness and spiritual anguish. Great hope of a coming one, a son of David, one in the line of David who would sit on David's throne and rule and reign in righteousness forever. This is the king that Jonathan Edwards was talking about who rules so gently with incredible wisdom in righteousness and in justice and he moves in the hearts of his people, not governing them against their wills but inclining their wills to himself and to his ways, working deeply in the inner man. A promise of the new covenant that Ezekiel talked about. take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and cause them to walk in my ways, to desire my ways. What does it mean to be, to have the name Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God? Both of these names point us to not a, a human man with human wisdom with human might, but a God-man with divine wisdom and divine power. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful means extraordinary, miraculous. It points us to the divinity of the Lord Jesus. Even the name of God mighty God. Over in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20, it says, in that day the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return to the remnant remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. This is God's name. This is speaking of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel, the mighty God. And yet the promise is that for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. 
This is the God-man. That's why we'll see it was important for him to be virgin-born according to the scriptures. He's born of a virgin, given by God. Wonderful counselor means wonderful and extraordinary, miraculous, and being a counselor means to plan, to give advice, counsel, to decide, specifically to make wise plans, to give wise counsel, to make wise decisions. In the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses prophesies in this song. He says this, verse 28, for they are a nation void of counsel. And there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. So Isaiah is preaching in a time where (laughs) this is the fulfillment. They're being taken out of their land into exile because they can't discern the ways of the Lord. They have no understanding. There's no wisdom. There's no counsel among the people of God. They've turned to their own ways. They're listening to horrible counsel. Remember, the counselors were to advise the kings, and the kings were receiving horrible counselor. But Isaiah promises one who's coming who doesn't need the counsel of anybody else because he's wonderful in counsel. He's miraculous in counsel. He is extraordinary in counsel and all of his ways are right and all of his judgments are just, all of his judgments are true, all of his plans are right. Andrew read part of the passage or he read the whole passage In Isaiah chapter 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Remember, this is one in the line of David, the Davidic king, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. This is so different than the kings of the time. Radically different. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is is not like the kings during Isaiah's day. Now there were some good kings, Uzziah, Hezekiah, but the majority walked in the ways of the world walked in rebellion against God and and led not only Israel but Judah in rebellion against God. In chapter 28, verse 29 of Isaiah, 
says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So we see that, that this is the divine Son of God who is given to us as a child, as a baby. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures wisdom and knowledge in Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, in this incredible breaking into praise, Verse 33, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? The implication is nobody, nobody is God's counselor. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Even in Ephesians 1:11, Paul says that he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. God is not consulting anybody else to make his plans. He consults his own will. He works all things in accordance with his own will. And the name of our Savior is Wonderful Counselor. This mighty God who works all things in accordance with the counsel of his will. And Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 12, 42, he said, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The wisest man that ever lived. Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here. The wisdom of God is here. He's extraordinary in wisdom and power. Jesus knows what is best and is able to do what is best by his mighty power. His plans are best. His ways are best. His answers to our questions and concerns are best. So here's a few questions. If our Savior's name is Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, then why are we so enamored with the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world? Why, 
Why do we so value the counsel of the world and the voice of the culture? Why do we seek the approval of the world? Why is Jesus' voice not the primary voice in our lives? And you might be sitting here, you say, Jesus' voice is the primary voice in my life. And I'll say, praise the Lord. Keep listening. Keep seeking his voice. Keep making his voice the preeminent voice in your life. But we all wonder. We all veer off from time to time. We all drift and we're all lured by the songs of the sirens, which sing a very luring and convincing song, the wisdom of our culture, the wisdom of the world, and we find ourselves listening. I know the voice of Jesus, but we keep drifting and listening and placing value on what the world values. Why are we so impressed with the might of men? God is not impressed with the might of men. Why do we look to the world and the things of the world and the people of the world to deliver us and to rescue us? We're constantly seeking people to rescue us or things to rescue us. Even King Ahaz sought the king of Assyria to rescue him. What foolishness! Who ended up conquering everything. We're so easily lured and convinced by the world. So how do we seek to know what our wonderful counselor and mighty God has said and what he does. I want to give you just a few things. Number one, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we seek to know what our wonderful counselor has to say? Well, we let his word dwell in us richly. We let it remain in us. Now, we've said it before, but many times people think about the Word of Christ as the red letters in your Bible. And I want to clarify that. It's not the red letters in your Bible. It's every word in your Bible is the Word of Christ. And it's authoritative and it's good. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this. How is your Bible reading going for the year? And maybe you said, oh man, I got discouraged a long time ago and I, I, I let it drop off because I, I just got so far behind. Let me encourage you in this next year, start and pick it up and keep going so that you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do we keep the, the Word of Christ as preeminent in our lives? Well, we saturate ourselves with the Word of God. We read and we study and we read and we reread and we keep going. You will never, ever exhaust the riches of the Scripture. And as the little Jesus storybook Bible says, 
every story whispers his name. The whole Bible is about Jesus. So number one, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Number two, abide in him and let his word abide in you. In John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus says this. In verses four and five, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. You might say, well, what does it mean to abide? Years ago I saw an illustration that I, it was, I'll never forget it. There was a man and he was doing a talk from Colossians and he was talking about what it means to abide. And, and he, he got a tea bag and he put it in a, a cold uh, container of water and just set it there. It was clear water and a tea bag in there. It was cold and, and he just kept talking. And of course, your eye was drawn to the pitcher of water and you were watching it. You were listening to him, but watching the pitcher. And over time, that cold pitcher of water started changing colors. Because the longer the tea bag remained in the water, it started permeating the water and changing colors to where that water became tea. And by the end of his talk, it was a dark brown tea colored. You're like, oh, I get the picture. To abide in Christ is to remain, to spend time to spend time with him in prayer, in study, in meditation. There was something that Spurgeon said that I had Chandler write in my Bible one of many years ago. It said, come my soul, sit at Jesus' feet and learn of him this day. That's what it means to abide. Come my soul, sit at the Savior's feet and learn from the Savior. Spend time with Him. Seek His voice. Ask Him, and He says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What we find is as we abide in Christ, as we delight in Him, as we sit at His feet and learn from Him, listen to His voice, He does exactly what Jonathan Edwards says. He works, He inclines our hearts towards Him. He captures our affections, what we pray for our children. Lord, capture their affections. Draw forth praise from them. You do that work, only you can do it. Remain, abide, 
delight yourself in the Lord. And the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust on him and he will do it. What happens is as we delight in him, as we abide in him, he changes our hearts and lines it up with his will so that when we ask, we ask in accordance with his will and it is done. So number two, abide in him and let his word abide in you. And number three, delight in his word and meditate on it day and night. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The description is of the believer delighting in the law of God, delighting in the words of Christ, delighting in the Bible, and meditating on it day and night. When you pray, the word comes out. When you think, the word comes out. When you encourage your brothers and sisters, the word comes out. How? Because you put it in. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Delight in his word and meditate on it day and night. Think on it, chew on it, pray it, share it. And you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And you'll be like the child of God who asks anything and you have what you've asked for because you've delighted in the Lord and he's lined up your heart with his will and you bear much fruit to the glory of God. The world is singing a beautiful song that's very luring, it's very tempting. The way of the world seems pretty neat sometimes, but our Savior is wonderful counselor, mighty God. He's extraordinary in power and wisdom. He knows what is best and is able to do what is best by his mighty power. Let's seek him. Let's seek his voice in our lives to be the preeminent voice. No other voice would compete with our Savior's voice in our lives. And if you're here today and you don't know this Savior, There is none like him. The wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon, doesn't even compare to the Lord Jesus. The most powerful and mighty man doesn't compare to the Lord Jesus who came 
to deliver us and to rescue us from spiritual darkness and oppression, to rescue us from the wrath of God that was coming on our sins. He came to lay down his life as a sacrificial and atoning death for sinners so that they could be reconciled to God, would receive forgiveness and eternal life. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need eternal life? Do you need a righteousness that you know cannot come from within inside of yourself? It must come from outside, then you need Jesus. And I wanna encourage you today, would you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son. We thank you for your ways, how wise you are, how good you are. And thank you, Lord, for how wonderful our Savior is. He is the wonderful counselor and mighty God. We pray that you would have your way in our lives today, that you would transform us, or that you would make us more and more into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that today that you would ignite a passion in us for your word that we would love your word, that we would delight in your word, that we would long to hear your word, that we would long to hear our Savior speaking to us through his word. God, change us by the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.